It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? The evidence was circumstantial, and the prosecution brought Wayne Williams to trial for two of the 28 killings. Apartments on Buford Highway, where we now have new developments in the ongoing investigation of the Centennial Park bombing. General Robert Abrams, for the first time, and officially calls the Tawana Brawler story a lie. At a press conference this morning, Seattle Police Chief Robert Hansen announced a special task force being formed to study Ted Bundy. Join us now as we go beyond criminal headlines. And I'm your host for Beyond Criminal Headlines, Nicole Bennett. This week, we discuss the unsolved murders of Russell and Shirley Dermond. On May 6, 2014, Neighbors of Russell and Shirley Dermond, an elderly couple who lived for 15 years inside the Reynolds Great Waters gated community in Eatonton, Georgia, home to some of Putnam County's wealthiest residents, called 911 to report a very gruesome discovery. The body of Russell Dermond, 88 years old, was inside the garage of the couple's 3,200-square-foot home, slumped behind one of their cars. There was something else, though, and I think this was one of the details that initially propelled this case into national headlines. Russell Dermond had been decapitated, and his head was nowhere to be found. Shirley Dermond who had been married to Russell for 62 years, a retired clock manufacturing executive and fast food franchisee was also missing. Her body would surface some 10 days later, discovered about five miles from their home by a couple of fishermen on Lake Oconee. And again, this is Eatonton, Georgia in Putnam County. It's about uh, probably a little over 70 miles southeast of Atlanta, Georgia. An autopsy later revealed that Shirley Dermond, 87 years old, was killed by two, possibly three blows to the head with a blunt object, and they were deep wounds. So I've read many experts say that signals an unmistakably lethal intent in this case. At first... The murders appeared to be the work of professionals, and I want to say that's pure speculation, 100% speculation. And my source for this week said to definitely be cautious in cases like this where you're speculating whether the killers were professional or not. And local sheriff Howard Sills of Putnam County said he initially assumed the beheading was meant to send a message. But the FBI, who got involved almost right away, said they couldn't find any connections to the Dermans and any of their investigations. And as far as we know, the couple had no known enemies. And this was a question in particular I saw raised uh, in an article that I read in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that I thought was interesting. And they asked, would seasoned killers, again, speculation, take the risk of transporting Shirley Derman's body, which they clearly didn't want discovered, onto a public lake, then weigh it down with just a pair of 30-pound cinder blocks. 
It's just one of the many unanswered questions where this case is concerned. I had so many for our source this week. Also something I wanted to note, Sheriff Howard Sills has also adamantly said he feels if we're still considering the professional killer theory, he doesn't think they would have spent the time to decapitate Russell Dermond. And this is a direct quote from him. If we're talking about a professional, they quote, shoot you in the head and leave. So there was gunshot residue found on the collar of Russell Dermond's shirt. We're going to get into why they feel he may have been shot before he was decapitated. There's a lot more to that. And an observation that my source for this week um, that he pulled directly from Sheriff Howard Sills. So I'm going to stop there. I'm clearly getting way too ahead of myself. I spoke with someone this week who knows way more about this case than I do. Esteemed journalist Mark Winnie, initially hired by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Mark ultimately switched to television and went on the air for WSB-TV in Atlanta, Georgia in 1986. Since then, Mark has helped WSB-TV, also known as Channel 2 Action News, break several of Georgia's biggest stories. His print and broadcast work have been honored with numerous professional and civic awards, including a number of Southern Regional Emmys. Back to this week's case, though, Mark's insight into the investigation surrounding the Dermans was captivating. And keep in mind, it's unsolved. So obviously, we've got more questions than answers. And I had so many questions for Mark. So let's jump in. Here's my conversation with Mark Winnie on the unsolved murders of Russell and Shirley Dermond. Well, I started working part-time for the Birmingham News while I was still a student at Auburn University. And when I started at the news full-time, I was assigned to the night police beat which is a great way for a reporter to start out because you have to learn how to develop sources, how to go through records. I'd go through maybe, you know, dozens of uh, police reports on a, in a night. Um, and a lot of what I learned about dealing with people in the most dramatic and traumatic times of their lives, I learned from uh, the police officers I hung out with, you know, at, at work back then. We had a lot more access back in that era than we do now. And then I moved to the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and then uh, mid-80s, I switched to television. And uh, I've been at Channel 2 for a couple of weeks. It'll be 37 years that I've been at Channel 2. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. So in, in all your years and experience, I'm sure the Dermans, the, their case and their investigation stands out. So if we're beginning, you know, at sort of in a timeline here, can you give us an overview of before May 6, 2014, when the case really, you know, began, what what's an overview of the days leading up to May 6, 2014 for the Dermans? I know I'd read they had accepted some kind of invite from their neighbors to attend a party, but they never showed up. You know, I've stayed in close touch with Howard Sills on this case since well, at least the day that we rode into the cove uh, where the Dermans lived with Sheriff Sills on a boat uh, soon after the discovery of uh, Mrs. Derman's body out in the lake. Uh, so most of this comes from what Howard Sills has told me over the years. And my understanding from him is that on the Thursday, uh, 
before the discovery uh, of the murders. Uh, Mr. Derman went to the grocery store, bought bread and cucumbers, got an ophthalmological prescription for his wife, filled inside the store that she had a uh, an appointment sometime in the near future with the eye doctor. He also went through the bank drive-through. Uh, Friday, there was a, an email that Mr. Derman did not open. Um, I should back up Wednesday. Uh, Mrs. Derman played bridge. I think that was widely reported at the time. And then, yes, uh, it is my understanding that they had accepted an invitation from their neighbors to attend a Kentucky Derby party on May 3rd. Uh, they did not show up. Friends who knew they were supposed to be there tried to call them, believe their names were Mr. and Mrs. Wynn, who drove over there. The door was unlocked. And according to what the sheriff has told me, Mr. Wynn eventually went in, found Mr. Derman's decapitated body, I believe, in the garage. It's just a gruesome scene. And, and it sounds like for the most part, until obviously they didn't show for this Kentucky Derby party, that it was a routine couple of days for the couple. And so they find Mr. Derman, Russell Derman's body, decapitated. They didn't find Shirley's body right away, correct? Right. Uh, her body uh, floated to the surface in Lake Oconee. I want to say it was five or six miles uh, from the house uh, some days later. Wow. Okay. So immediate, did the FBI get involved right away or not necessarily? Well, the Tuesday that Sheriff Sills learned of the case, uh, he later told me he called the FBI. Uh, number one, decapitation is unusual in this country as a feature of a homicide. Uh, he wanted to know what the FBI knew about the Dermans or might know about them. Uh, I think he talked to the FBI about um, phone records, although I believe that uh, the sheriff's office actually obtained the warrants for the uh, phone records. And then uh, eventually in one day, as he related it to me, uh, he had about 20 FBI agents, about 20 uh, detectives from various sheriff's departments uh, that interviewed about 200 people in the Great Waters neighborhood in one day. Um, and I believe that uh, he also had FBI profilers from Quantico develop a, a profile. Uh, so I interviewed uh, Britt Johnson, uh, the FBI special agent in charge uh, at that time. He was the SAC for the Atlanta Field Division, which co covers all of Georgia. And he said that he put agents in Putnam County to investigate uh, what became the Durham double murder at the request of Sheriff Sills. Uh, and he told me back in May of 2014, we'll be there as long as we're needed. Uh, but he also said it's tailor-made for what the FBI can do. Uh, for one, add manpower to a big mystery in a small community. He said that uh, at that point he had about 40 people involved. And he said that ranged from agents to evidence experts. Uh, some involved a few hours, some for the duration up to that point. And he also told me that the Bureau had brought the expertise of criminal profilers at its uh, behavioral unit, behavioral analysis unit. That's a massive investigation and hundreds of people or close to a hundred people interviewed in one day. So as the case began to unfold and, 
And just out of curiosity too, when did your coverage begin? Was it right away when they found their bodies? It was not immediate. It was uh, soon after. Um, I had known Sheriff Sills for some time and we had a number of acquaintances in common. Um, so I went out there to, to dig deeper into this and, and wound up uh, riding with him. I can still see it in my mind's eye uh, on a boat uh, into the cove where the Dermans house was and, and pulling right up to where we were almost could have hopped out uh, into the yard. And that's still one of my most outstanding, outstanding memories of, uh, of that case. Wow. I mean, so Russell's found decapitated. Shirley's body surfaces some 10 days later in Lake Oconee and Russell's head has still never been located. Is that right? Yeah, uh, so far as we know. Okay. So far as Sheriff Sills knows, I believe, uh, it, that head has never been located. Right. So right away, and then I guess throughout the course of the investigation, were there any theories that popped up that that seemed that maybe stood out to you or seemed to be substantial, have, have something to them? Um. The theory that still resonates the most probably with me is one that Sheriff Sills evinced in June of 2014, right? So the following month, uh, he said his educated suspicion was at least one of the killers at that house knew the Dermans, not especially well, and showed up to steal something the Dermans did not have or could not get. Interesting. It's interesting because I've seen Reddit threads. I've seen so many discussions on this case over the years. It feels, I don't know, my my speculation would be it feels like that could be true, that it's someone who didn't know them closely, but knew it was a nice neighborhood, you know, knew of them. Um, that's bizarre. So, what did ultimately the autopsies reveal about both of their deaths? She died. The autopsy, as I understand it, revealed that she died of blunt force trauma to the head and that he was dead when he was decapitated. Uh, Sheriff Sales told me this, and he, he told me that he had known that last fact uh, when he first saw the body. He also has, has indicated there was some gunshot residue on Mr. Derman's shirt, uh, which would indicate uh, he was shot perhaps in the head and was decapitated, speculative, uh, but to uh, to get rid of the ballistic evidence that may have still been in his head. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So that kind of evidence, was there anything else at the crime scene or maybe found on Shirley's body um, when she, re you know, surfaced days later. Is there any evidence in particular throughout your coverage that you would say had the most impact on the case? Anything that came out that people said, oh, my gosh, that that has to be a clue. That has to be a red flag of, of some kind. I mean, I think some of the most compelling evidence is what is not present in the case, you know. Nothing major missing from the house that the sheriff knows of. Now, is there jewelry that the authorities and the family uh, don't know about? Well, that's that's possible. But as far as anything major that 
they know of that was missing besides Mr. Derman's head? Uh, I'm not aware of that. Um, the Dermans, it's my understanding, didn't even have ATM cards uh, that uh, the sheriff has found um, no major amount of money removed from accounts. Uh, they had cell phones, he tells me, but they barely used them. So this case is, to some extent so far, about what hasn't turned up. And, and on that note, I was going to say, we've mentioned Putnam County Sheriff Howard Sills multiple times because, I mean, he's been in law enforcement for almost, what, nearly 50 years. And this this is a case that he can't, I can only imagine, can't let go. It's, I mean, has stuck with him for years. Um, tell me a little about your relationship with him and what he's like and and maybe some of the moments that have stood out to you in talking with him. You know, you mentioned going out on the lake with him. And then if there's anything else that stood out to you during your coverage of this investigation. Well, Howard Sills is a powerful personality. He's a powerful intellect. Uh, he's almost had a legendary status among fellow Georgia sheriffs. Uh, he was the president at one point of the Sheriff's Association, but he's also generated some controversy because he tells it like he sees it. I want people to call, but we've had calls like we saw a boat at two o'clock in the morning on the lake. Well, you can see a boat anytime at two o'clock in the morning on the lake. That's not, I don't mean to, it's not 285, my God, but it's, uh, but boats are on our lakes late at night. People fish late at night. But we're following up on those when we get a call. We're, we're, we're questioning the people there. But if I had a good solid lead, guess what? I wouldn't be standing here talking to y'all. You know, he has ticked off some, I can think of one prominent politician, uh, but uh, he's a very, very smart guy. I think even his uh, enemies would uh, acknowledge that. And he's he's tough. Uh, he, he's he's not going to take much guff from anybody. And when he walks into a room, he generally commands that room. And that uh, that can even go for a courtroom, you know, where he's providing security uh, to a judge. I've probably covered thousands of uh, criminal cases in 43 years as a newspaper and television reporter. And he's one of the smartest detectives that I've encountered. And he's been relentless about this. Some might suggest that he has a mean kind of like a bulldog. And, and he's been like a bulldog about this case. I mean, he, he has not let go of it. And I don't think he ever will let go of it as long as he's breathing until it's solved. Trust me, uh, every anniversary since the first one uh, has troubled me. And, and I truly, it's the, one, it's the first thing I think about when I get up in the morning. I still think it was some sort of extortion, robbery of some sort that the Dermans uh, didn't have or didn't have access to something somebody wanted. I still believe there's more than one perpetrator involved. But most importantly, I still believe somebody knows about this and they need to tell us. I know I read, uh, I think it was an AJC article, uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that said um, it was an interview with Sills and, and his loved ones have said it happens in a detective's career. You have cases that go unsolved and he just 
he cannot let it go, which I think is so admirable in so many ways. And so of all the interviews conducted, I mean, hundreds of interviews, the residents that lived in the neighborhood, friends, they polygraphed Russell and Shirley's kids, no leads, no witnesses. Was there any surveillance footage maybe from that day? Uh, No surveillance footage uh, that I know of. However, there was a mystery witness uh, to some extent, according to what uh, Sheriff Sills told us. But my recollection is uh, that witness could not even say the ethnicity of the person who was seen in their backyard, uh, the gender even, other than the gate uh, appeared to resemble that of a male. So I think it, it gave the, the sheriff's office and the FBI perhaps some tantalizing leads, but nothing that could qualify as an identification. Interesting. Okay. So I read one theory. No, did they, I I've also read, so they had no known enemies, no one that would have been after them for any other reason than maybe, like you said, jewelry or something like that, right? Well, that would strictly be speculation. I mean, there is no jewelry that that the sheriff knows of that's missing. But, you know, in terms of whether anything was taken from the house, I mean, I think he feels like it would have to be something like that that nobody knew about except for uh, the Dermans and the killers. I gotcha. Okay. Right. So just speculation that it could be something that that no one knew that they had, um, except for, again, someone close or not even, you know, indirectly who knew them. I'd read one theory because their son, Mark, was murdered in a drug deal gone wrong in 2000, that it could have been revenge for something that Mark had been involved in. But has Sheriff Sills has said nothing came of that. Right. Correct. That the slain son, he believed, was a a drug user with no indication he was a drug dealer, uh, that the Dermans were not uh, heavily involved in in that case, may not have even gone to the trial uh, for the killer, from what Sills could tell. Um, That the man convicted of the killing was in prison at the time uh, of the Dermans' death. Uh, So it my understanding from the sheriff is that theory went no place. I gotcha. Okay. So throughout your coverage, obviously speaking with Sills and and being able to go out on the lake with him had to have stood out. Is there there anyone else? And you spoke with one of the FBI agents on the case. Is there anyone else throughout your coverage that you've interviewed uh, that stands out to you in particular? Well, I interviewed... Uh, Sheriff Massey uh, from next door to Putnam County in in Baldwin County. And Massey knows Sills really well. I mean, not only are they sheriffs in neighboring jurisdictions, but Sills used to be Massey's chief deputy. And he told me for a story I did during this case coverage, uh, Massey told me he's probably as good an investigator as I've ever worked with, uh, but by and large, he's probably the most intense. He's a very intense human being. And I would say that describes to a T what I've observed over the years from Sheriff Howard Sills 
as well. And, you know, he's he's been in the spotlight uh, because of the Derman case. He's been in the spotlight because of other cases and political matters uh, as well, too. But he's uh, he very much, as Sheriff Massey indicated, you know, he he doesn't want anybody to come into his county, hurt someone and him not be able to solve it. That's basically how the sheriff put it to me. Again, just very admirable in a lot of ways and still, you know, working this particular case. Have there been any, it sounds like no new leads in recent years. I did, in in terms of what, what the latest is or, you know, what the latest in the case is, I'd read there might be new technology that could help crack the case, possibly. Yeah, uh, he has had some geofencing work done, and I think he's still perusing uh, the results of that. And he has also told me recently he's planning to take some material with possible DNA evidence on it to an out-of-state private lab that is highly regarded. DNA evidence. Okay, that's interesting. And so just for my benefit, I'm so sorry. So what... What is geofencing? Geofencing, it's my understanding, is uh, using cell phone data to indicate who was where at what time in the proximity of a particular incident. Okay. That would definitely be interesting if, if anything comes of that. That'll be interesting to hear. So Don't hold me to that because I'm not a geofencing expert. Gotcha. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, uh, clearly, I'm not either. So uh, it's we're more than eight years later in this investigation. Still so much unanswered. Um, but I was curious, and, and anyone that you talk to, if you talk to anyone close to the Dermans, uh, how did they describe them and how would you say they want them to be remembered? You know, I'm not really in a good position to answer that. Um, Cause that's meant that was in the early going when I was heavily involved in this. Uh, and I, and I've gone back into the case a few times over the years, but that uh, I didn't really have a, a good feel for that. But uh, you know, my understanding is they ran a number of Hardy's franchises at one point out of the, basement of their house in Dunwoody. They may have later had an office in Metro Atlanta. I believe they rented a house, according to what the sheriff told me, out in Greene County before they bought uh, this house in Great Waters. And, you know, it seemed like they had sort of a dream retirement scenario in a beautiful home on one of the maybe two prettiest lakes in the state of Georgia until somebody showed up and unleashed almost unimaginable brutality on these two elderly people. The brutality involved in the decapitation alone. But if you imagine that he was likely shot in the head. So if this happened at the house, where's the blood spatter evidence from the shooting? If she was bludgeoned at the house, where's the evidence of that? I think it's clear that he was decapitated there. I'm not so sure that he was shot there. And I think there's, according to my conversations with Sheriff Sills, I think there's a lot of reason to not be certain at all that Mrs. Derman was killed at the house. So bizarre. What you're saying, it just hit me 
that if he was shot at the house, where is the blood splatter? I I really had not even thought about maybe in uh, an old, another crime scene, you know, or where was Shirley killed? Um, and it, you said it, it's unimaginable brutality. I mean, you think about decapitation um, and that his head has never been found. It's just, it's, it is a bizarre case. If he was indeed shot in the head, Mr. Derman, think of the ruthless calculation it takes to then decapitate a man. Yes. And then to however it happened to transport his wife alive or dead in a boat miles out into the lake. That's cold blooded. Would it have been difficult in the dark to move a body down to the water? I don't think so. But that also brings up the question, did the killers come by car? Did they come by boat? Did they come by foot? How did they leave? Yeah, no footprints found at the scene or fingerprints or anything that we know of? I'm not aware. I'm not aware, I'm not aware of any footprints or fingerprints that were not explainable. I just, it's so hard to wrap your mind around. And also, wasn't it true? I thought I'd read that Shirley's body was also the way that she'd been, the way they had attempted to weight her body down was also not, it didn't look, I mean, I hate to describe it this way, but it did not look professional. You know, it didn't look like people who knew what they were doing. Is that what I, I feel like I've read that somewhere. You know, one thing that I, Learned a long time ago, covering crime and corruption. You can't put the template of logic over the mind of a murderer. So I'd be hesitant to draw any conclusions about how, you know, something was tied, was professional or not professional. Um, you know, was this a professional killer or was it a professional criminal of some other kind? Or was it somebody driven by some kind of intense passion that we don't know about yet? I would say, based on what is known to all but the killers and God in heaven above, we don't know which of those scenarios or another scenario may be true. So true. That's very true. Um, well, is there anything I, I'm, I'm trying to think of? I have, I mean, so many questions that I <laughs> think of, but I'm trying to right now. If we didn't cover anything, is there anything else that you wanted to add about the investigation? Well, I think there are a lot of people who have been covering crime or investigating crime who believe that someday somebody will get jammed up on another crime and they'll have something to say about what happened by Lake Oconee. Look what happened with Tara Grinstead. You know, it was 17 years later and finally someone came forward and said, we, we heard a guy and another guy at a party and they were talking about Tara Grinstead you know, 17 years later, but I agree. We, we will see. And now we're more than eight years later in this investigation. And I wanted to note that Mark told me it's his understanding. This is the only homicide in Howard Sills career in which he had principal responsibility that remains unsolved, which is saying a lot. And you could tell I think the audio of Sills that I included from local media in my interview with Mark, it weighs so heavy. And Mark even said, you know, Lake Oconee in Georgia is deep, 
but this mystery is deeper. So here's hoping new technology, possibly DNA testing, hopefully we will have more answers soon. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Nicole Bennett. This is my true crime podcast, Beyond Criminal Headlines. Every few weeks, you'll be able to find new episodes on any of your favorite podcast providers featuring conversations between myself and esteemed journalists across the industry, experts in the field of true crime who've covered some of the most notorious crimes in our history. And I say it at the end of every episode, you can also follow the podcast on Facebook. It's at Beyond Criminal Headlines. Please send ideas for cases that we can cover in upcoming episodes. I've already heard from multiple people in the weeks following our last episode on Tamla Hosford. I've genuinely enjoyed every conversation I've had about cases that I hope we can cover as soon as possible. I hope you learned something from this week's episode on the unsolved murders of Russell and Shirley Derman featuring the esteemed Mark Winnie. We'll be back again soon. Until next time, this is your host for Beyond Criminal Headlines, Nicole Bennett, signing off. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.